So, um, well, good morning again. We're in the Things of the Spirit series. This is week 10. We've been doing, let's just recap real quick. We started this off. We got three more, including today, we've got three more weeks, and then we'll be done with this series. It'll be 12 weeks total. But we started off week one with 10 works of the Spirit. Then uh, the following week, we looked at God's relational presence, and then we looked at how the church received the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we started looking at spiritual gifts, the gifts that the Spirit gives, and uh, then specifically the gift of prophecy. Then we kind of bundled some gifts together. We looked at the gift of exhortation, wisdom, and knowledge. Those three kind of nicely go together. Then we, uh, the next week we looked at faith, healing, and miracles. Those uh, go together very nicely as well. And then we looked at tongues and interpretation of tongues. Um, then we looked at gifts of service, more kind of practical-oriented gifts. Then we looked at dreams and visions, which is one of my favorite uh, of the topics. And then today we're looking at the subject of distinguishing spirits, not extinguishing spirits, which would actually be handy if you could do that, uh, but distinguishing spirits, and then the related topics of uh, demons, demonization, and deliverance. So welcome to church today. This is going to be a good one. Let's, uh, let's pray, and then let's uh, get into this. Yeah, Lord, we just uh, we thank you you're with us. Thank you for your goodness and grace, and we want to pray that you would come by the power of your Spirit and that you would set us free from the power of darkness. Lord, each one of us, Lord, where, where Satan or demons have any power in our lives, that you would destroy that, that you would set us free, and Lord, that we would better shine the light of your goodness all the more in the face of the darkness. And Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you today, doesn't know how good you are and how great you are, I pray just show them the way. Show them the way of Jesus. Bring them in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, the, the spiritual gift of distinguishing spirits can be described, sometimes it's rendered or, or titled as uh, discerning spirits. The word discerning is used instead of the word distinguishing. That basically means the same thing. The idea of this gift is that somebody has the supernatural ability, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to judge if a teaching or a situation or, or a person is influenced in some way by something demonic. That's essentially what this gift is. And that could mean discerning the particular type of spirit at work, uh, or it could even more, be more simple than that. It may be just discerning, is this of an evil spirit or is this of the Holy Spirit? It may be uh, more simple than that. This gift, the gift of distinguishing spirits, only appears once in the Bible. But even when there's something once in the Bible, it's, it's important enough it made it in. So we've got to look at it, and um, it's next to the gift of prophecy, which we know is one of the cornerstone gifts. So we, we're going to look at this verse here, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, I think we're at. It says this, this is in the list of gifts, so we're just going to pick one verse out and look at it. It says, to another, the working of miracles, it's talking about gifts that are given, so the gift of miracles, we've already looked at that one. To another prophecy, we looked at that. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. And then to another various kinds of tongues and to another interpretation of tongues. So this is God's word. This gift is given for our good and for our growth. And so therefore, I think this gift is its more than just about identifying or just knowing like what a spirit is or what it's up to or how those things operate. I think it's, it's, it's deeper than just that because the goal of this is that we might be free from the forces of darkness. And so to give this gift, I think that the Holy Spirit wants to empower certain believers in particular to uh, not just about identify what's going on, but actually to have insight into the origin of where did this come from, what's behind this, how did it start, and also to have clarity and insight into how to respond to it. How should we respond to something demonic that's happening. I think all of those things can be wrapped up in this gift. Um, so we don't need to call the Ghostbusters to deal with stuff like this, because we are the Ghostbusters. That's probably the coolest reframe to think about being a Christian, right? You don't have to call it, we're definitely not going to call the 2016 Ghostbusters. That would be a big mistake. Somebody like that in particular. Um, the big clue, the big key in looking at 
spiritual warfare or demonic activity, and we're going to get into this more towards the end of the sermon, but let me, let me mention it here up, up, up front, is that um, what we're looking at with the power that, that Satan has and the demons have is the power to twist the truth or to inject error into doctrine. And, of course, there are displays of power that evil spirits can have. There's, there's, there's powerful signs and wonders and things that, that, that can happen, uh, false healings and on different, different kinds of false prophecies, or all kinds of different things that can happen. Of course, those are acts of uh, Satan as well. But the real power, the real key, the real danger is the twisting of the truth and the error that's introduced. And that's, we're going to get there in the end. Now, I recognize I've already probably gone too far into this, some people are probably rolling their eyes uh, talking about Satan and demons because, um, yeah, Satan, you know, the guy with the, the horns and the pitchfork, like that guy. Um, let's, let's take a step back and let's more broadly look at the subject of Satan and demons to begin with and, and even before we do, you know, to, to understand this gift of distinguishing spirits. And then um, let's take one more step actually back again and even just in a strange way, let me give an apologetic for the existence of Satan. Normally as a pastor, I'm trying to convince people that God exists. Um, but you actually nowadays have to, have to t- spend a little bit of time convincing people that Satan is real as well. Um, there are studies that show this actually, that a lot of people who would be professing Christians would even say that they don't believe in a personal devil. They would say, oh, there's evil, of course, and people can be evil, and there's generally maybe a vague idea of evil forces or an enemy. But the idea of an actual lead figure, Satan, demon, you know, uh, demons, or these kind of things, that people think that's a bit preposterous. Isn't that kind of cavemanish religion that we've kind of moved beyond that point? Let me very quickly say this. Jesus believed in Satan. Just read the New Testament for like five seconds. You'll run into this. Uh, in fact, all the believers, all the Christians, the apostles, all the disciples, everyone, everyone in the Bible believes in Satan and demons. And so if you're somebody who says, I'm a Christian, I want to believe in these things, then you're already out of step just with Scripture itself, all right? That's pretty much all we need to, to understand that these things are real. Uh, but let me also give, go a step further and offer you this as well. Um, that if God made a world and populated it with physical creatures like us. Obviously, we're we're physical and spiritual, right? We're both. But he made a physical world that he populated with with people like us. And, you know, we fell from grace. Um, We have fallen from God. And so, yes, we have got the residue of, you know, we've got the image of God in us, so we can do good, but we're also tainted. We're, We're kind of depraved in that way, and we tend to do terrible things to each other, and we're very prejudiced and judgmental of each other and want to hurt and hate and murder each other. And so there's a lot of evil in the world. Like, if God did that, and you believe that, and you believe God made everything, why is it hard to believe that God would also make a spiritual realm that he would populate with creatures, some of which have fallen from grace, and do evil things? I know you do, Amanda. I'm not here to convince you. You've got great faith. But thank you for your encouragement. I mean, we need more of that. Be more like Amanda. Okay. Not Rochelle. Anyone but Rochelle. <laughs> That's a joke. That was a joke to you. All right. All right. Where did I get to? You got me totally off track here. That's okay. This is interactive. Interactive church. The reason it's important to distinguish between spirits, to get, to get discernment and clarity on the work of evil powers is that evil just tries to conceal itself and disguise itself with a veneer of good, with a veneer, an appearance of being good. So we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. It says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So if the chief demon does this, we can safely assume that this is, this is the method, this is the mode, this is the ordinary activity and strategy of the forces of darkness. That they, that they don't appear to us in costumes, red costumes with pointy, you know, think, what are they called? The horns, pointy horns, and I forgot the word, horn, uh, that was unfortunate. And a pitchfork, they don't appear that way, they appear as and angels. Um, and this is the cunning, crafty activity of Satan and demons. But it's, it's not just Satan and demons that do this. It's people, people 
that do this as well. And so uh, we see this again uh, in the same chapter, verse 11. It says, uh, so it is no surprise if his, Satan's servants, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So we're talking about people who come across like Christians, but not just in the name of Jesus, but people who might be in an authoritative position, people who might be in positions of Christian leadership as well, can be basically they're on Team Satan. They don't show up just with the pitchforks. They don't look like Satanists, but and they may not even be aware of that. It's not like people are you know, secretly drinking blood behind the scenes. Um, but because they're not on Team God, there's only two kingdoms. You may be unaware of it, but if you're not on God's team, you're on the opposite team. There's no neutral team here. We're told very clearly in Scripture that there are false teachers. We see this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. There will be false teachers among you. Look, they're among Christians who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. There are also false prophets. We see this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Oh, look, they're dressed like Christians. Christians are called sheep. They're, they're dressed like us, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They're not Christians. They look like Christians. They sound like Christians, but they're not Christians. There are also false apostles, we're told of, in uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, again, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 13, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Now, I always like, to, when I think of this verse, I like to think, what is an apostle's disguise exactly? What does that look like? And would it double up as a good costume party outfit to wear? What would an apostle be disguised as? Didn't get a laugh, that one. That's all right. <laughs> Someone said sorry. Do you say sorry? It feels bad for me. I like that. It should feel bad for me. I need more, need more validation. Uh, insecure. Um, it should be no surprise to us understanding there are false teachers, false uh, prophets, false apostles. Uh, these people that look like Christians, sound like Christians, say Christian-y things, teach from the Bible. That It should be no surprise to us that Christians, in fact... Unfortunately, many Christians can be lured away into false doctrines and false beliefs and trapped inside certain organizations or groups or churches because they can't distinguish, they can't tell the error from the, the truth. They can't tell that, and in part because there's a veneer of goodness, that something's been disguised with light, and so on the surface, all well, it looks good, it makes me feel good. But you just dig a little, you just start asking questions, you start applying wisdom, start applying discernment, and you, start, you get a little, go a little deeper, and you start to realize, actually, there's some things that are off here, and a lot of Christians, I mean, we're called sheep for a reason, that sheep are easy, easily wander off, don't know the way, need a lot of help, need shepherds, sheep need a shepherd, right? That's why God calls us to be in a community, is because we need a lot of help from each other. But So God in his grace then gives, through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives some individuals this gift of discerning spirits, of distinguishing spirits. And I, I don't think it's necessarily an automatic like, hey, I just got all the insights possible. I just know everything. I've downloaded all the heavenly knowledge and I know all the things. I think like any gift, you might have more of a grace for it, more of an inclination for it, but it's still got to be matured and developed over time. And that applies to any of the gifts that somebody might have. But even though God in his grace has given some with this particular gift, and we need to lean on those people. If we lack discernment, if we can't see the error from the truth, if we can't see that, then we need to lean on those people that God has gifted. But not only that, we also need to all grow in discernment because we need enough discernment to know who to trust. Right? You need enough discernment to know who do I even trust in the first place? Because if I'm, if I'm leaning on this person and they're telling me this means this and this means this and look at this, well, I've got, I've got to better assess them as, as a source of stability and truthfulness that I can, I can trust. Hebrews chapter 5 puts it like this, verse 14, puts it like this. It says, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So there's a role for us all in this. We all can mature in discerning good from evil, truth from the lie. There's a, a possible example of this, this gift of distinguishing spirits from uh, the Apostle Peter. Um, this appears in Acts chapter 2. Uh, 
chapter 5, excuse me, verse 3, it says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself parts of the proceeds of the land? I'll be referencing this verse again later on. But in this situation, the apostle Peter, he is, is revealed to him by the, the Holy Spirit that this particular individual is lying and something from the that he, Peter knows something from the past that this this man and his wife Sapphira that they had sold their their land which is a very you know generous thing to do to take that money and to want to give it towards this special offering that the apostles were taking up but but they 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 kept back some of it for themselves which maybe they could have done that maybe that that was okay but the, the, the issue was they lied about it and he says Satan's filled your I mean, Peter's got this insight he, he supernaturally received this this could be an example of distinguishing spirits that are, that you get a sense, kind of, kind of a hunch, as it were. That's not the right word for it, but you get a prompting from the Spirit. that, like, there's something else going, there's something funky going on here behind the scenes. This is revealing motives and um, revealing, you know, it's shining light into lies. It's, it's revealing a lie. That's, again, that's the power that Satan has, is that he deceives, he brings lies. And so this, this gift is going to shine light. It's going to make things plain and clear and help us get rid of the fuzziness and the things that are confusing and make, them, make straight lines out of the, the wonky lines. So that's how this gift operates. Now, this gift in particular, we can call it like a revelatory gift. Where What I mean by that is a gift where you're receiving a revelation. The Holy Spirit's giving you an insight into something just like a prophecy or a word of knowledge or something like that. I think it operates definitely in a similar way that you, you might just get a prompting from the Spirit. You get insight into something. But I think this gift goes probably beyond that as well, that there might be, because I think it takes a lot of wisdom and discernment as well, and, and honestly knowing Scripture really well, being somebody versed in, uh, in, in doctrine and in theology, because I think there, there are processes that can go uh, in, into play here, that it might not be that you have, you might get a hunch about something, or a, a better phrase, or as a spiritual prompting, but then you, you actually use a process where you start testing, you start asking questions, you start trying to clarify things, and you start trying to nail things down and, and bring more definition to things, rather than things being vague. That's how the enemy, the enemy likes to work in changing the meaning of words, or using confusing words, or even using big words that people don't understand. That's a tactic as well, just to bring confusion. So let's, let's use words that people understand. That's, that's shining light into things. So you have an example of this in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. John the, uh, says this, he says, John the Apostle says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now, when it says test the spirits, it's not encouraging us to get into conversations with demons. You know, the reason you shouldn't get into a conversation with a demon is because they lie all the time. And if they say something truthful, you've got to be extre- like you know is true. You have to be extremely suspicious. Say, there's got to be something about the way they said that that planted a seed of deception somehow. So you, there, there's no, it's not like a job interview, right, where you're, on a scale of one to ten, how evil really are you? <laughs> I'm just trying to fill in my, my spiritual questionnaire here. That, that's not how this works. This passage here that we looked at, bring, put up that passage again we just looked up, it the link is between where it says test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. What, the test is to test the false prophets. That's where you test. You test people. So you listen to the words that people are speaking, or if they've written them, what have they written? And you're, you're testing to look at, is this truthful? Trying to distinguish, trying to discern an understanding here. And if there is error... And there's a degree of error. You know, there can be, there can be unintentional errors. There can be mistakes that we need to be gracious about and, and talk to people about and address. But, but you have to look at what, what is, what's the nature of the error? How egregious is this error? Are there, 
somebody departed from sound doctrine, and of course the one that's mentioned there in First John is somebody who denies the identity of Christ. That's like the apex test right there. That's one of the big ones. There's some other ones. Actually, we've got some common ones. We've got a list here. Are we going to go through here? Some common tests for falsehood. So someone who denies Christ in some way. Let's just go, just go ahead and throw them all up. Are they, someone claim, uh, claims that Christ has already returned or will return on a certain date. Uh, someone who puts human tradition above God's ways. That's, that's, a, that's a sign. Look for that. That's introducing deception. They, uh, somebody uh, who uses grace to justify sin. And I think this last one here. Somebody who has an unhealthy craving for controversy. So these are some signs where we're discerning is somebody bringing falsehood? Is somebody either a false prophet, false teacher, false apostle? Paul refers to people who, are, who call themselves super apostles. They're like so, so apostly. They're just, they're the super apostles. And uh, it is unfortunate when people use those titles to create a sense of grandeur about themselves, to put themselves up on a pedestal. That they, and the reason people do that is for power and control. Is, is to manipulate. And if only we, we could be more discerning, if only we could equip more Christians to be more discerning about the nature of leaders like that and people ministries are like that. It's so horrible to think about how people twist the truth and, and do things like that, like that. Now, we're not talking about small nuances in theology here because there are good, honest Christians who have honest disagreements about certain passages of Scripture. Like they're... There are honest ways you could take, you know, some things. It's like, hey, it's, you know, some things I think like it's more likely on this, this side, but, you know, it, it could be this way too on, on that particular issue. Like, and you, you, you try and have humility about that. You try and figure those things out and learn more about it. And you have to be humble about all that kind of stuff. But the, there can be small differences about things. But what we're really talking about here is where, where there is a departure from what is sound doctrine, especially the, the, the core tenets of the faith. That's why it is helpful to have a, uh, a statement of faith. These are the core things that we believe. We don't depart from these things. That's a, a great test. But are, we, are we on track here? And, but even having that isn't a guarantee that somebody's on the same page because people can use these things as a means by which to still deceive people. Because once you actually go deeper, then you find out, well, actually, they believe additional things or things that undermine the things in the statement of faith. Or people have, people will even use the word like inspiration, for example. Christians believe, hey, God's word is inspired. That means it's God-breathed. God breathed it out. Use human people to write it down, but it's, it's ultimately from God's breath. It's inspired by God. Some people will twist that and say, oh, yeah, I believe Scripture's inspired. But what they mean is they mean it's, 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 it's inspirational. Oh, yes, it's, I'm inspired by it. So you can even read the same, be reading the same words, but people mean different things by the same words. That's a sign of deception as well. So this gift of distinguishing spirits, there might be an aspect to this where somebody gets an insight, and it may not be that hard to figure out, actually, about what kind of spirit is operating. And, and the reason for this might be helpful is in order to, to see somebody set free from the, a dark spirit in their life, an evil or an unclean spirit, the Bible calls them unclean spirits, or demonic powers, you know, different words to describe them, fallen angels, to discern a demon's specialization, if you will, um, might be helpful in terms of uncovering how does the spirit have power in somebody's life? Because it could help trace back what's, where did this begin? Where is the real power? What's the lie beneath the thing that's going on here that we need to help to set somebody free from it? So we have, we have a list here of some examples of types of demonic spirits. So there's a, lie, there's a spirit of divination, a lying spirit, a spirit of whoredom, a spirit of torment, a mute and deaf spirit, a disabling spirit. You know, sometimes it just refers to it as a spirit of infirmity, right? A spirit of sickness or a spirit of fear. The spirit of the Antichrist, a deceitful spirit. The spirit of Jezebel, or sometimes people refer to it as a spirit of control. It may not be necessary to identify exactly you know, it seems, it seems that some demons have specializations. That makes sense to me. I, you know, I could imagine that just as people have giftings and specializations or things that they excel at. They're like, I'm really good at this. Like you've got some demons like, I'm just really good at lying. Just I'm really good at getting people to lie or others are, I'm really good at the fear thing. I know how to turn up the fear, you know. But also you could have, you know, you it's not just one spirit that could be at work. You can have multiple spirits at work. So, so it might be a number of them uh, doing this. So 
We don't, it's, not, it's not that we have to say we have to know exactly what the Spirit is, but if somebody has that insight, it may help in order to, to help somebody uh, break free of that. But the encouragement we have from Scripture is this, is that Jesus wants us to fight demons. He's given us authority and power and wants us to cast out demons. And he had this little uh, incident with his disciples in Luke chapter 9. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow with us. It's a classic disciple, disciple issue there, right? Well, Jesus, aren't we the ones? Who's going to be the greatest of us? Because we're the greatest. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. So Jesus is giving the thumbs up like, hey, if there's some struggle with some satanic power here, like don't stop it because we want to overcome those powers. We want to defeat those powers. But even with that encouragement and even with Jesus opening the door in that regard, we do actually still have to be very cautious because demons have power. Satan has a lot of power. And uh, that, that, that shouldn't give us fear, but it should make us wise and discerning. We should pick our battles. So even, even in, there's, a, there's an example of this in Acts where the apostle Paul is being followed around by this girl who's demonized and she's a fortune teller and she's kind of harassing them. But it took several days for Paul to finally cast the spirit out. But once he did, it caused a big backlash. It caused a lot of problems for them. And so there's some caution here. Like you don't just jump into something that you don't quite understand or know what's going on. Like, like we have the permission, if we encounter something, you know, there's two dangers here, right, with, with all this demon talk, is that you can fall on one side where you basically, you, you, make, you rationalize everything. So, so nothing's ever spiritual, right? Everything's just pragmatic, right? That's one danger. You can fall on that side. So you just ignore that this stuff happens. And then that, that gives Satan even, you know, more power probably. But or the other side you fall on is that, like, everything's demonic. Everything's Satan. Right, you blame, so you, you sin and you're like, oh, Satan's fault. It's like, well, no, you did that. Like, you need to take responsibility for that. Um, you know, of course, Satan tempts us, but we're responsible for our actions still. God holds us and sees us responsible for that. And so we've got to be discerning. There's a spectrum here, right? We don't want to be on either side of that. We want to, that's why you have to grow in discernment. You have to, to see what is God doing uh, at this time. But we want to be cautious about spiritual warfare and fighting demons and things like that because um, you can get injured. You, it's tiring. It's exhausting. It's actually described like wrestling. So in Ephesians 6, Apostle Paul writes it like this. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We wrestle against these things. If you know what wrestling is like, anyone here wrestled before? Any wrestlers in the room? Is Jafet here today? Where's Jafet? Our one wrestler isn't here today of all times. Satan got his way today. I don't know, something. Wrestling is extremely exhausting. You start grappling with someone, even for like just 20 seconds, power on power, person on person, it is exhausting, tiring. The only people that don't get exhausted by wrestling are WWE fans because they're not convinced that it's all staged, but we're trying to help them to distinguish that and to discern that. We can, we've got to understand that fighting demons is something we do, something we must enter into. If, if, you, if we see something demonic being presented to us, that's a clear sign. We need, to, we need to go on the offensive. We need to attack. We've got permission and tools and weapons to attack. Um, but also, we need to understand it's not a walk in the park. Like when demons show up, bad things happen. People get hurt. People get fearful. We, when we have promises, right? We have prom powerful promises from Scripture, like James 4. It says, you know, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. What a promise. Stand on that promise. Hey, if I resist this power in my life, it'll flee from me. It'll go from me. I've got to stand on that. But also we've got to understand, well, he can inflict wounds. Satan and demons have power. And that brings us to an important question, is how much power do, do Satan and demons have in the life of a Christian? Can Christians be influenced and, what, and to what degree can Christians come under the influence of demons? Let me try and give as clear a teaching on this as I can. The Bible doesn't rule it out, but it also doesn't necessarily give us completely clear examples of it. So 
There's a spectrum that we see in Scripture when we see people who are under the influence of demons. There's, there's the most severe examples of this are somebody who is completely taken over by a demon. And uh, they're even speaking with the voice of a demon. Whether they're aware that that's happening or not, that there's examples of that happening in Scripture. I personally have seen that happen once, uh, where I saw a, a man with his eyes rolled back in his head, and this horrible, ugly-sounding voice came out of his mouth, and he was saying creepy things. Um, saw that happen many, many years ago. Um, there's examples of that in Scripture happening. That's, that's an extreme example of something, of demonization or you know, uh, some sicknesses are demonic in origin. Not all sicknesses are, but some are. Um, that could be, you know, that, that's an example of a, a demon being involved in somebody's life. It appears that demons, whether somebody is a Christian or not, that they can, they can somehow, you know, lie to, they, they lie to us, right? They can put thoughts in our minds. They can come into our dreams, attack us as we sleep uh, in that way. The, whether you're a Christian or not, that there's some power or influence that they can have in our Lives. So let's go through a few examples. Four examples in the Bible of this, one in the Old Testament, three in the New Testament. King Saul in the Old Testament, the first king of Israel. He was an Israelite, so he was circumcised. He's in the covenant of God's people. He was anointed by God to be their king. Um, he even the power of the Spirit came on him at one point and he prophesied. And people said, Is, is, is Saul amongst the prophets now? Um, so, uh, but ultimately, he was rejected by God as their king, and he didn't really follow God very well. He had moments where he repented and tried to make it right, but he'd mess up again and like, you know, do pagan things and then kind of do uh, Israelite things. And he was just a whole hot mess, uh, King Saul was. And so the question remains is like, what was his true spiritual status? Was he a believer or not? I don't know. That's up to God. Salvation belongs to God. So that's up to God. I don't know. Um, you may have a conclusion on that one. I'm not too sure about it. But we read this in First, Chan- uh, First Samuel chapter 18. It says this, uh, The next day a harmful spirit from God. Oh, that's going to mess with your brain. I think it was Martin Luther that said the devil is still God's devil. God even will use evil forces for himself for his own purposes. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled his spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Love that. David's so awesome. You you always imagine yourself as David, right? Being like, I'm going to be that ninja evading the, the spear moment. Is King Saul a true believer or not? I don't know, but God sent an evil spirit to torment him that caused violence and outbursts of anger and a murderous intent. He was trying to murder David. Another example here, there's a a story in the New Testament of a a woman with a disability. She had been disabled for 18 years and Jesus refers to her. uh, He basically says that it's demonic in origin and that... He calls her a daughter of Abraham. So he's, he's speaking to her identity that she belongs to God's people, therefore belongs to God. He does not lead her to faith. He doesn't witness to her or forgive her of her sins, presumably because she already, because he says she's a daughter of Abraham, she already belonged. But yet she had this, this sickness. So we read this in uh, Luke chapter 13. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. I don't have full clarity. Was she a believer or not? I don't know, but is that an example of somebody who's already in God's kingdom, but there's a demon at work in some way through this sickness? Another example, Ananias, that we we looked at earlier in Acts chapter 5, verse 3. This example, this guy Ananias, you know, uh, Peter says to him, you know, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And this guy was probably saved on the day of Pentecost, um, probably baptized. Um, they were giving in a special offering. They're part of the church there, the first church. They're giving in the special offering. They're coming to the apostles. And, but he says, Satan has filled your heart. What level of demonic presence is that? How does that work? What does that exactly mean? I'm not, again, I'm not sure, but we do see some level of, of demonic influence here. At the very least, there's some, some influence Lastly, last example is the Apostle Paul himself. 
Paul talked about his thorn in the flesh, that there's some, some weakness he had. There's debate about what this is. Some people think that maybe it was his, he had bad eyesight because at some point he writes saying, you know, in one of his letters, he says, see, see how big the letters are that I'm writing to you. Some people say maybe he had bad eyesight or something, but that's his thorn in the flesh. No one really knows. But he describes this thorn in the flesh in demonic terms. So we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, again, mind-blowing statement here. This was given by God. Just like King Saul in the Old Testament, so the Apostle Paul in the New Testament is saying, this is this messenger from Satan. Again, I don't know how this works exactly, what this exactly all means, but this is the way he's describing. I kind of, a picture in my mind that I have of this, I don't know if this is how theological this is, but at least the picture I have in my mind, you're imagining like a, a leech being stuck to you or a, uh, I had a tick a few years ago stuck to the back of my thigh. I was freaked out about it. It's hard to get those ticks off. But I imagine something, you know, somehow that's an image in my mind of like, you know, a demon being like a leech or like a tick. That's something that is secretive, it's hiding, it's attaching itself, but it's kind of like draining you in some way. But like that God would, you know, even doctors used to use leeches, right, for different things. Um, but that God in his wisdom and his power would, can use evil spirits and has sovereignty over that to accomplish his purposes. It's a, it's, that's mind-bending, Right? How God can? How does that work exactly? I don't know, but I know. I know what I see in Scripture. I know these examples that we have. Now, let me give you some consolation here. The most extreme examples of demonic powers completely taking over people. All of those examples seem pretty clear that those people weren't believers. It does seem pretty clear in that regard. But some of these lower level things. Paul's thorn in the flesh, this woman with the, this, disab- you know, this disability. Like, there, there are indications these people may have already been believers. Again, to be clear, that doesn't mean all sickness is demonic. I think there's some sickness. Obviously, there's not. Some can be. Again, that's why distinguishing spirits is helpful, to know what's going on. Many years ago now, I was praying for a guy who um, had severe back pain. And I don't really think he believed in the things of the Spirit in this way, but he was willing for me to pray for him. And he said he tried everything. He, I mean, it was really chronic back pain. He tried everything he, to the point where the one thing that was supposed to work, where they inject these uh, things into, your, into this part of your back, the, the, the re, slow-release um, pain medication at the point, so it like completely numbs it out. Like That's like almost guaranteed. That's the thing that's going to work. It lasts like three months or something. Even that didn't work for him. So he's telling me there's something in, well, this sounds spiritual then. Like everything the doctors are doing is not working. Like that, that's what I'm thinking. So as we started to pray for him, he started to rock back and forth, forward and I'm getting lightheaded. I feel strange. I don't feel good. And I'm thinking something's going on here. Something demonic is going on. Tried to talk with him, try to share with him, try to approach that subject. He wasn't particularly open to it. So I was like, all right, I'm not sure how, how I can approach this. But I tried to plant a seed and say, like, be open-minded to that this could be a work of Satan in your life and you need to be set free from that. Um, different things. Now, as Christians, I'm aware that in talking about this, this could introduce, introduce a lot of fear into our lives. <gasps> Does that mean I'm demonized or that Satan's at work in my life and I've got spiritual leeches on me somehow? Those can be freaky things to think about. Let me encourage you, if you're in Christ... If you're in Christ, you have God's love, God's protection, and God's power over you, right? So we have, so so we have knowledge, we have understanding that Satan is powerful, that he does work in the world, and he can influence us and have power over us. He tempts us, he lies to us. Some of our sicknesses may may even be caused by him, but we have to understand that we have permission and power, that we have protection from God, that even Satan has limits. There's only so much that God will allow him to do. And so even if he is permitted to do certain things, it's still under the loving, guiding, powerful hand of God. And we can rest assured in that. We can have peace and security in that. But we also means we've got to be humble. We've got to be willing. If there is the presence of darkness in our lives, we have to be humble and we have to be willing to say, I want it 
I want, to be, I want to be rid of it. I don't want it. I want to have no power in my life. I want to have no presence in my life. I want to be completely free of this presence, this spirit in my life. And that takes some humility. And I understand we can be scared about that. What does that mean if someone prays for me? What, what might happen? Might I manifest a spirit? I don't know, maybe not. I've had experiences before where I felt like a, a weight came off of me and I thought like that, that felt spiritual. That felt like a, something, I was released from something. Some chain was broken over me. We shouldn't, be too wor- we shouldn't be concerned about what other people will think and there can be discretion about when to pray and, and when to approach these things, of course. What we should want is to say, I want to be rid of the filth of the enemy, of the evil of the enemy. I don't want to be filled with more of the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit in my life. What might be some signs of demonic activity in our lives? There might be, honestly, hearing voices. That could be one. Suicidal thoughts. That's straight from hell. Your life matters. If you're in danger, please talk to somebody. Right? You're in danger of harming yourself. Please talk to somebody. Your life matters immensely. You're made in God's image. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to rob you of living to God's glory. That's so demonic. What about, another sign might be um, being enamored with false teaching or divergent teaching. I, I've known this over the years. I remember a guy many years ago who was just so enamored with all the books that aren't in the Bible. Like it was like the, the Apocrypha or the, the Gospel of Thomas. Well, these are extra biblical things like that. He's like, yeah, but yeah, I know, I know the Bible is good, but like, what, what if there's some other stuff in those books? Like this is weird. Like, why don't you just go with like the good stuff, like the main stuff? Let's, you know, I understand those are historical documents or things you might learn about history and different things, but that's not truth. That's not revelation from God. An irrational fear of the Bible could be the sign of demonic power in your life. I've had people before that like, they actually have a hard time even, even picking up a Bible or even opening a Bible. There's some, res- there's some resistance. There's something going on. That could be a sign. Irrational fears that just don't make sense. That could be a sign. Even you know, ex, you know, uh, physical strength, right? Extra powerful physical strength. That, 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 there's examples of that in Scripture. Certain sicknesses could be a sign of this as well. That's the powerful side of things. That, that's, that's, that's Satan and demons displaying their power. But even, even beneath that, even their ability to have that power in our lives is in large part because... They have control of our minds because they've lied to us. They've twisted the truth. This is going all the way, all the way back to Genesis 1 where the, the first lie was introduced. Did God say, right? Did God say, hey, you're not supposed to eat from the tree of, of knowledge of good and, good and evil. And the question came, did God say? That's where the power, that's the foundation to all this. And so the way we fight that, the way we do spiritual warfare as Christians, we, of course, we can speak. You know, if we see a demon manifesting or something becomes particularly clear, we can take power over it, cast it out in the name of Jesus. Of course, we can take those steps to do that. Some people, I've seen Christians try and do that and it not work. That's mysterious. I don't understand. God's given us authority to understand why it doesn't always work. But we, we take that step and we, we, we want to exercise that, that level of confidence. But here's the real power. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the, of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now leave this verse up. Leave this verse up. This is a key verse for understanding spiritual warfare for us and what gives Satan and demons power in the first place. Satan raises, so he's an antichrist, right? He's trying to replace Christ. And so rather than just being too obvious and just trying to attack Jesus or instead of just being, you know, the guy in the red suit with the pitchfork, right? He tries to have an alternate gospel. He's he's an alternate Christ. He's a different savior with a different message of salvation, a different gospel. So that's where it becomes so dangerous is that, that, that... as, even as believers, we can have a twisted sense of what the gospel truly is, or the gospel isn't the main thing for us. And so there are, there are lofty ideas. What, what's a stronghold? This, this verse talks about strongholds. Well, a stronghold, you know, you think about a city in ancient times. A city 
walls, you know, cities being besieged, being attacked, and if the enemy breaks through the wall and they flood into the city, well, then the last resort you have is to rush into a, a stronghold, a tower that's in the center of the city, or you have more than one, perhaps, but you've got weapons in there, you've got food in there, you've got supplies in there. You can, it's a stronghold. You can, maybe, maybe it's, you can make your last stand there. You might better hold out for a while. Like you might better shoot some arrows out and kill some more enemy or, you know, uh, you can, you've got some food in there so you can, you can survive in there for maybe several days and maybe they'll leave eventually or something like that. You, it's a stronghold. And this is how Satan works in this way that you become a believer and so the walls are breached. So God comes in, right? God comes into your mind, into your life, into your heart and he, he occupies it. Like you've given your life over, over to him. But you know what Satan's, Satan and demons do is they, they can retreat into a stronghold, so I'm going to hang out in this fortified area. I'm, I'm, I, can, I can last a while here. I've got some supplies, I've got some weapons, and I'm going to keep fighting. So the war has been won, but there's like a little battle going on. And to defeat that stronghold, you defeat the stronghold, you destroy the stronghold by destroying arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. This is about believing the truth, destroying wrong arguments and taking all those thoughts captive. Here's a thought that our culture and our world is captivated by. We've been captured by. And many Christians have been captured by. We're in an age, we're in a post-modern era. Don't want to get too fancy. Don't want to confuse anyone. But the big lie of our age is that there is no objective truth. There is, there's your truth. There can be lots of variations of the truth. Oh, there's, there's lots of interpretations, of course. Don't you know that? And the erasing of lines. And you, I mean, it's boiled to the surface, hasn't it? Like the, one of the big demonic lies right now is the erasure of women. The only way to be free, free of it is to take those thoughts captive into the obedience of Christ and to come back to the truth. And that can be a stronghold. That can be an element of your own spirit and your own mind. And it gives Satan power because that lie, that postmodern lie that there is no absolute truth, truth can be whatever you want it to be, right? Did you know that? That lie, that, listen, if you've been to college or university in the last 10 years, you've probably been infected with this lie. Probably. And you've got to be cleansed. You've got to be cleansed. Satan has some power, some stronghold. And we've got to smoke it out. We've got to start a fire around the base of that stronghold and smoke out those demons. Get them out. Get them all the way out. Because they shouldn't have that power. That's the power they have to lie to us and to, to deceive us and to undermine the work of grace, of God's grace in our lives. This is how we fight. This is how we fight. We, we defeat the lies. And the gift of distinguishing spirits can be helpful. If somebody has the gift of discerning spirits, it can be helpful because they can identify those lies. I mean, postmodernism is a, is a big, broad lie, but there can, be, there can be personal lies. There can be things that you believe about yourself that's not true. Self-image lies. You're not worth. You're not worth having as a, a friend, or you're not. You're not people. You know. You don't deserve respect, or you don't deserve love, or there's something wrong with you. You're always going to be rejected somehow. Whatever. So many. You don't belong. You don't belong. That's that's a powerful one, isn't it? That's a stronghold. If you believe that, that's a, you have a stronghold. You, gotta, you have to take it captive. You say, okay, I, I believe it, but I've I got to decide it's not true. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to help me to understand where does this come from. And there's so much joy on the other side of that, smoking those demons out and being freed from that. Man, what joy there is in that. We need to get our hearts and spirits straight here today and sing to Jesus. You know, you know the reason, one of the reasons we sing is because singing and music has the power, God-given power, to soften your heart, to make your heart more open. As you sing the words out loud, and please sing. Are you somebody who doesn't sing in church? Don't do that. Sing along. If you've got a terrible voice, just sing slightly quieter. Sing louder. No, no, don't do that. That's, that's a lie. Sing as loud as you want, and, or just move away from people. And... Uh, but the reason we sing, we join together in singing is because God uses that to open up our hearts. And when our hearts are softer, our hearts are more open, we're more emotionally engaged. You know what can get in is truth. 
That's actually why it's really important that we choose good worship songs that have good theology in them, that speak the truth, so that the truth can come in, so that the truth can make sense, that you can receive it into your spirit. It's powerful. That, that can minister, God ministers, ministers to us in that way. If you want prayer today, I'd love to pray for you. I know this is a subject we'd never want to make a spectacle of anything demonic because we don't want to give Satan any glory. And also we want to protect people's dignity. But if you feel like there's a heaviness or there's something going on, get, get prayer. God wants to reveal. God wants to speak in. And we've got lots of people that can pray. Come forward, you know, come forward at any point if you want to get prayer. Come forward for prayer or we can pray afterwards or we can set up a time to pray to see people free from this. You know, Christians are always talking about salvation, aren't we? Christians, we're big on salvation. We want to be saved. God saved me. When did you get saved? What's your salvation testimony? Saved, 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 saved. We're always talking about being saved. We get saved from lots of things. The biggest thing we're saved from is judgment. But here's the other thing we're saved from. Satan and demons. We're saved from evil. And I got to tell you, if you're not a Christian, there are dark evil forces that want to destroy you and rob you of the joy of knowing God. And if you feel afraid by that, good. Because that might just be the motivation you need to say, I want to go towards the light, towards the goodness, towards God. Satan sometimes is a great gateway drug to God. Do you know what I mean? That's why he has to disguise himself as an angel of light. Because once people get a true glimpse of what he's really like and of what unclean demonic powers are really like, they're so afraid and disgusted by it that they say there must be something good. There must, I've seen evil and I don't like it. I don't want it. There must be something good. That's why he has to disguise himself. Because if he's too obvious, it's actually pushes people towards God. I met a gentleman years ago who was a drug baron in my town. He was, he was a multimillionaire because he sold a lot of drugs. And he and his girlfriend were in this apartment. They were laying on the bed, looking up at the ceiling, and there was this fixture on the ceiling. And as they were both looking at it, it turned into a face, and it started oppressing them, pushing them down on the bed. And they were so afraid for their lives, they, they ran out, and they abandoned all of their possessions. They couldn't even return. And they found our church and some of our leaders went with them and prayed and talked to them about the gospel, talked to them about Jesus. And they said, if there's something that demonic and that evil, there has to be a God. And they became Christians. And he started a company fixing computers. It was very successful because he was good at selling drugs. So... He found a better profession, fixing things instead of destroying things. And found faith in Christ. God has freedom for us. Let's not be those who just rationalize everything. We're just pragmatic. We just ignore the demonic. But, and let's not be those who over-spiritualize things. We almost, always must be Satan. Let's be those who are discerning. Those who are discerning who have the Spirit to guide us and help us.